We'll begin this evening with chanting the refuges and precepts, as is the custom here at the Forest Refuge. And I was just thinking as in the lead up to actually starting to speak in my mind, I was reflecting on the fact that all over the world in different places right now, there are people who are chanting the refuges and precepts. And so maybe we can kind of connect with that, that there are people all around the world who are connecting with the, the values that are expressed when we chant this, bringing that forward into their own minds and hearts and there, from there into the world. And, and it's a beautiful gift, you know, when we undertake to live with care in this way, we are offering the gift of safety to other beings. And that is a profound gift. So, um, yeah, see if there's some way you can connect with, with what we're doing when we do this chant. And, and if possible, hold it in your heart as an offering, both to yourself or the way that it uplifts the mind and heart, and also as this offering to all beings, that all beings, we have their welfare and well-being in mind. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Buddhang saranangachami Dhammang saranang chami, Sangang saranang chami, Dutiyampi buddhang saranang chami, Dutiyampi dhammang saranang chami, Dutiyampi sangang saranang chami, Tatiyampi buddhang saranang chami. Tatiyampi dhammang saranang chami. Tatiyampi sangang saranang chami. Panati pata veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Adina dana veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Abrahmacharya veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Musawada veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Sura meraya majapamadatana. We Ramani Sika Padang Samadhyami. We Kala Bojana. We Ramani Sika Padang Samadhyami. Naja Gita Wadita. We Sukadasana. 
Malaganda, Vilepana, Dharana, Mandana, Vibhusanathana, Vairamani, Sikapadang, Samadhyami, Ujjhasayana, Mahasayana, Vairamani, Sikapadang, Samadhyami, Idame, Silam, Magapalanyanasa, Pachayo tu Sadu 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 I don't know if um Caroline might have mentioned uh, in her talk this this last Friday, but um, this past Friday was the celebrated as Vesak in the Buddhist tradition. Did she happen to mention that? It was the uh, full moon of May, which is um, in Buddhist countries is um, celebrated as the the birthday, the enlightenment day, and the death day of the Buddha. And it came early this month. Um, it's been cloudy, so haven't seen the moon that much, although it's been out a bit in the last day or two. And, um, you know, it's not in our culture. Um, in Buddhist countries, there would be a lot going on, and people would go to monasteries and uh, the meditation centers there, the yektas in Burma, for example, our, our monasteries, or nunneries, and meditation centers combined. But people would go and make offerings. There would be a lot of um, uh, lot to commemorate this event, of this this day. And um, people come and take the precepts, spend a day in meditation, or um, or more, perhaps during this time. And it's been almost 2,600 years since the historical Buddha walked and lived and taught in northern India, wandered around the plains there. And by now, after so many years and such geographical distance, as a as a person, it's it's it's, it's taken on kind of a mythological persona. It seems very far removed. We have images like the Buddha statue <coughs> sitting on this rock behind me, which you might find beautiful or not. You um, may find some relationship, but it's it's very stylized and generic, these kinds of images. They don't have a much connection to an actual person. And uh, because of, of this distance in time and space, I think there's a tendency to forget that this was a person who was born um, in a place called Lumbini, which uh, is now in southern Nepal, and um, had a life, walked a spiritual path, had an awakening experience that was profound and uh, was able to find a way to teach that has has carried on over um, a long time now. Float across 
all parts of Asia and somehow crossed the ocean and has come here to this country. But he was a real human being and uh, undertook this journey, had a realization, and pointed towards this as a possibility for all of us. He said, if it weren't possible for you to do this, I wouldn't ask you to try. But it is possible, and so I do ask you to, to try. And as I was thinking about the fact that this was the, the Waisak moon of May and this honoring of this person, this great teacher, the, such really great, huge feelings of gratitude arose in my mind and heart. And I changed my talk topic, <laughs> kind of not totally last minute, but quite kind of, you know, I spend a lot of time working on another talk, which at some point tonight you may wish I had given that one instead. That's possible. But this is what, what is happening tonight. But I can't imagine what the shape of my life would be if I had not come across these teachings and... Um, and the blessing of, of that is very, very, very profound and obvious to me, the blessing of that. And, and it's said, and I think it's really true, that the conditions that come together where any one of us would have the opportunity to hear the teachings, to have any interest in that, to have the, the opportunity to actually practice them, is really rare in the world. And I was thinking just now, I was doing some walking meditation in the dining room, which is my favorite place, indoor place to walk here at the Forest Refuge. I've I've logged a lot of miles in that dining room. And uh, I was thinking about, I don't know how often any of us reflect on this, but the, the, the karmic flow that has led to us being able to come here and spend time practicing at a place like this, which would be regarded as a heaven realm by a lot of people in the world, let me tell you, compared to places I've practiced that are called forest centers. This is, they're nothing like this. They're on the edge of, or maybe in the middle of a town and there's, it's not quiet. And, you know, there would be, loudspeakers blaring, and I won't go on, but there would be a cacophony of sounds and activity going on um, that is not an impediment to practice, but a very different situation than we have here. This is a real forest meditation center. Calling this the Forest Refuge is a good name for it. And there are people who would think they had died and been reborn in some deva realm if they wound up here. And so I think it's really wholesome and good to reflect on the fact that somehow there's some some wholesome karmic flow here that has led to us being able to come and practice here and to not not take the opportunity that we have for, for granted. And I wish all of you will have the opportunity to spend as much time 
practicing meditation intensively in a retreat kind of situation that as much as you want. Maybe actually more than you want, but none of us knows if we'll ever have this opportunity again. You know, nothing is guaranteed. The next breath is not guaranteed, let alone this opportunity. So I, I'm dedicating this talk to those yogis, including all of us, who have kept these teachings alive over these centuries through their sincere dedication and their generosity of heart. Because it, it's been passed on initially through words, <laughs> One word, nothing was written down for quite a while. It's been, it's this, there's this flow over the centuries and that flow rests on this quality of um, finding something of value and wishing to carry it forward and offer it to others. So I dedicate this talk to all yogis, past, present, and future, who um, are keeping these teachings, these profound transformative teachings alive. So this, this heart of, of gratitude that I've been touching on here that I found arising so strongly in my own mind and heart this week is really uh, intimately bound to the quality of generosity and the practice of giving. And so I'm going to offer some reflections on these subjects tonight. In one teaching, because the Buddha spoke about generosity and giving a lot. And in one teaching, he, he suge- and in different places, he suggested how we make this into a practice, how to hold um, that energy in our minds and heart. In one place he said, one should offer with the reflection, this is an adornment for the mind, a support for the mind. Let me give because it ennobles the mind and beautifies the mind. I just love those those words to to think of beautifying, adorning the mind, supporting, ennobling, lifting the mind up, the mind and heart up, to actually give with that reflection in our in our mind. And these these those words from the Buddha bring to mind two words in Pali that I'd like to uh, speak about this evening. One of those words is uh, chaga, and the other is more familiar to most of us, dana. The, The word chaga actually refers to a quality of in the mind, a mental quality in the mind heart. Whereas dana is actually the action of giving something. Dana is that that um, action of offering something. So we could see chaga then is like the quality of mind that is inclined towards generosity, and then gives rise to an action. So there is this sense that chaga is this feeling of. Um, generosity of a kind of inner abundance where one feels inclined to give something. And then dana is the, the action that follows on from that, where we would actually t- heed that energy and, and do something. 
give something. So when we connect to and cultivate chaga as this internal quality of generosity, then it it flowers forth in some kind of offering in the actual action of giving. But the process can be the other way around. We don't always give because we're feeling generous. The quality of chaga might not be there in the mind or maybe not very strongly, but we can choose to give. We can make an offering. We can practice dana with this sense and connection to cultivating chaga, this internal generosity of mind. We, it's like we give ourselves a nudge towards generosity by actually um, making an offering, by giving something. You know, sometimes we can feel that giving something is taking something away from us, that we're somehow lessened or diminished by it. But I think all of us have, have found at least to some extent that the opposite of that is true and that the practice of giving actually is enriching, develops a sense of what we might call inner abundance, develops chaga. So giving can cycle back towards developing generosity, generosity flowering forth in giving. So there's a nice circular um, quality there. And this sense of of um, feeling enriched by giving is spoken to in these words from Lao Tzu. The sage never tries to store things up. The more they do for others, the more they have. The more they give to others, the greater their, in their abundance. So this feeling of inner abundance, this quality of chaga, is not based on some objective criteria or, or related to um, obvious material wealth, for example. There are plenty of very wealthy people who feel a sense of inner poverty and cling to uh, their possessions and, and never feel like they have enough. And often the very poorest are the most generous. And my experience spending a lot of time in very poor countries and uh, the Buddhist Buddhist countries in Asia it bears this out. One example um, that remind, <clears throat> I thought of in thinking about this um, goes back quite some time to a, a time when um, there was a very, very bad uh, cyclone that hit um, parts of, of India and Bangladesh and parts of Burma and uh, a lot of people lost their lives and their homes. And I was not there when that storm hit, but I was there. I had been there. I'd gone there a lot to Burma. I've spent a lot of time there, including time living as a monk. And, um, you know, a lot of the poor people live in these really simple bamboo shacks that they just got flattened. <laughs> and um, there were these two nuns this goes back to 2007, I believe. There were some nuns that some friends of mine were uh, connected to and knew. And they had, they had managed to kind of 
wrap up their their duties, which they had done a lot. They'd been doing a lot of stuff in a nunnery and and connected to a monastery, a lot of teaching and offering and um, the duties that one has as a as a uh, nun or a monk. And they had managed to find a place, and they had a little <laughs> a little hut and. And they were going to really devote themselves to practice. And after this storm hit, their preceptor in the village that they were from, they were sisters, said there were all these orphan little girls. And and he said, they don't have anywhere to go. And so they they took them in and, uh, you know, let go of their their plan for their their retreat period. And, And, you know, this was not just for a little while. This was like for, you know, till they were, the girls were old enough to decide if they wanted to stay as nuns or, or move on into lay life. And and they didn't think twice about it. It's just like this, this spirit of generosity there. If we undertake the practice of giving as a practice, bring awareness to it, then we bring together the qualities of mindfulness and a clear intention in a really beautiful way. And it can become a really powerful practice. And, and really, you know, we tend to regard dana as, as a f- sort of foundation, you know. We have this dana sila bhavana model, maybe, and we want to get to the bhavana, which means mental cultivation. That's all of the meditation practices that we might do. We tend to... Um, not really regarded as a practice that moves in the direction of wisdom and liberation. But if we take it on skillfully, it is that. And so we can give as a simple, pure act of benevolence because of the beauty of that, of offering something if we're in a position to do so. And we also can take it on as a practice, understanding that we are doing it for our own benefit as well. That it is directly related to and a support for liberation. And it goes to the words of the, the Buddha. One gives because it ennobles the mind, beautifies and adorns the mind. Bhikkhu Bodhi said this, giving has a particularly intimate connection to the entire movement of the Buddha's path. For the goal of the, of the path is the destruction of greed, hatred, and delusion. The cultivation of generosity directly debilitates greed and hate while facilitating the pliancy of mind that allows for the eradication of delusion. And we can see this when we are practicing giving, cultivating generosity of spirit in the mind, then feelings of clinging and separation from others are weakened. It's really not possible for them to be there at the same time as generosity of the heart. And um, our mind does become less um, tight and fixated and um, self-centered. There is more spaciousness, more flexibility, more ease. And all of those are real aids to meditation a mind that is at ease, relaxed, open, uplifted, is um, a great mind to practice meditation with. 
giving strengthens our connection to others. It's a beautiful support for the Brahma Viharas, for metta. And it's an expression of goodwill, of love, of care, of compassion. There's a famous uh, quotation where the Buddha praised the power of uh, giving and generosity. This is from the Itivuttaka. If beings knew as I know the results of giving and sharing, they would not even eat without having given, nor would the stain of selfishness overcome their minds. Even if it were their last bite, their last mouthful, they would not eat without having shared if there were someone to receive their gift. Now, many of you may have heard this quotation. It gets repeated quite a lot. And and sometimes when that happens, it, it, there's a, a, a danger that we might um, lose the profundity of, of what those words say. But if we let them into our mind, it's a strong statement about the power of giving. If one knew the benefits, one wouldn't ever pass up an opportunity. That's what the Buddha is saying. Now, this doesn't mean that you should now start putting some of your food outside at lunchtime or any other time. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) But you might consider making a dedication before eating. Often, when I'm on retreat, before I take food, I, I bring a reflection into my mind. May this food sustain my, my health, my well-being, so that I can practice in a balanced way. May my practice be for the benefit of all beings. Something like that. Something where we can bring to mind the, the, um, our great opportunity here, the um, gratitude for the food that is offered, that we have, that we may have offered, and, um, and make a dedication so we actually reflect on, on it in that way. So that's more appropriate here. There may be times when you can actually give some of it away. I think for myself, without a doubt, when I began um, spending extended periods practicing living in countries where, where the practice of given is woven into the culture in a way that's a little bit, it's different than it is here, um, I really began to connect more deeply with the power and potential of the practice of generosity and of giving. And I think for me, a lot of that came when I was on the receiving end of of giving. And of course, there is great generosity in the West, in this country. The um, statistics on how much money is um, offered at times of need, natural disasters, other, other situations where there's need worldwide, and it's, it's kind of staggering the generosity that is um, displayed in those times. And it's beautiful. And there's so many foundations and aid groups and humanitarian projects that do so much uh, good in the world. But that offering in that way often takes the form of uh, philanthropy and volunteerism and, um, and good deeds, and they are good deeds, without a doubt. 
But this kind of giving often can reinforce a bit of a sense of, of separation of self and other, something good to do, something we should do, something we feel moved to do, to help others. But there's a tendency to sort of keep, keep some distance there. Um, others are, are held apart in some ways. And at least some of the time in, in some of the Buddhist countries where I have spent some long periods of time the practice of giving is is held in a different way. It's um, it's something that is taught to very young children. You see, um, parents with with even babies who you know can they can maybe kind of, but they bring them out and they they help them to offer something to monks or nuns coming on alms round. And um, there's a way that. Um, there's a kind of connection and qualities of joy and delight and dignity and giving and receiving that really counters feelings of, of separation of um, I'm giving to some, that person over there. It's quite beautiful. There are um, ways, other ways to reflect that can connect us with the power of giving beyond just the beauty of the the action. Um, in the text, it said that one can give with clear understanding that generous actions will bring beneficial results, that there's goodness that flows forth from this. And this speaks to the concept of merit. The word in Pali is punya. And it's a concept that is central to Buddhism, but is not in our culture, certainly. And... and um, it's it's kind of misunderstood a lot. I know I misunderstood this a lot when I was, uh, I remember the first time I really can heard this concept of merit. I had volunteered, this goes back to 1995, and I had volunteered to create, help create a place and, and be in residence and take care of four Buddhist monks who were going to spend the period of the rains retreat at a place pretty remote, place in rural Northern California. This was um, part of the process of founding the Abayagiri Monastery, if any of you are familiar with that place um, in Northern California. It's a a monastery in the lineage of Ajahn Chah, the Thai forest tradition. And I I had um, volunteered. I, I put in a lot of my time and energy making a place that would work for this um, over months. And then I stayed there and I made sure that there was something offered to feed the monks for this uh, period of time. And I remember people telling me, oh, that's such great merit. There's so much, you're getting such merit. And I, I didn't like it. I didn't want it. I thought it was like as though I were doing it with some reward in mind, like some celestial bank account or something. And, and it was just a misunderstanding there. I, I, I didn't want to have anything to do with it at first because I didn't really understand what it was about. But it's really the understanding that skillful, wholesome, life-affirming actions, goodness that is done, yields, bene- brings that beneficial and good, that goodness flows from goodness. 
the understanding of the laws of cause and effect. And there's an understanding that skillful actions inform not only the present, but they flow forward into uh, the future, into inform our lives um, as they move forward. And um, there is this understanding that there is merit associated with all skillful actions and deeds, including spending time in meditation. And there's the um, sense that this is something one should recognize, um, reflect on, bring forward into consciousness, and and then dedicate also to others, (laughs) which is fiscally sound because it's said that it is increased exponentially. If you give it away, more arises. So um, it's fiscally sound to do that. So we can think of it, an image that I like is that of planting seeds. We plant seeds of our future happiness, plant the seeds of goodness in our own mind and in the world through skillful actions, generous actions. And it's not that we're expecting something in return, but we actually connect to the goodness. We acknowledge and delight to take joy in that. And in the power that it has, not only in our own life, in the moment, in the world, and as it flows forward. And so flowing on from this, it's said that one should give with the aim of enhancing and supporting our journey to awakening. And a friend of mine had a, had a, what was for her at that time, a very, very moving and powerful experience. It was her first time ever spending time in a Buddhist country. And she was offering a meal at this. It was a place that I was associated with for many years where well, my beloved teacher, Sayada Ulakana, along with a Western teacher, would have a retreat for people from outside Burma, Westerners, to come and practice meditation in my favorite place in the world, the Sagaing Hills in Upper Burma. And um, when she was offering her meal, Donna, Sayadas said she had to, he made her recite these words, idam me punyam magapalanyanasa pachayohotu, which if you're ever in Burma at least, and probably Thailand, the same, Sri Lanka, this is a different, their version of this. If you make an offering, they're going to make you say those words. And those words mean, may this merit of mine, may the merit of this wholesome action be the cause and condition for my realization of the path and its fruit. So for her to, to even consider that that the path and its fruit was a possibility, a reality. She had never really held her practice in the way that she saw it could lead to the Buddha's realization. And it was, it was um, very moving to see how this landed in her heart. So I want to say, because there are stories from my time in Burma as part of this talk, and, you know, it's a troubled country, and right now it's a mess. And um, I wasn't, haven't been able to go for the past couple of years this year because it's just not safe. And, you know, the, the uh, military coup that had happened a while ago, the fallout from that is catastrophic and horrible. And I will not go into the details, but I know a lot of terrible details because I have friends. I've managed to get information from friends of mine who are there and have been there. And it's, um, you know, Burma is is a troubled place in many ways. And there's a lot of uh, 
it's so beautiful and it's so in my heart, that place and the people. And so I want to say, and there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on even in the name of Buddhism. So I feel like I want to offer this, these kind, this kind of disclaimer before I start talking about stories about that place because I have a very different relationship also there besides my, um, my heartbreak for the current conditions. But every time I go, I'm so struck by the um, generosity of the people there. And, and so I go there, I, I spend a lot of time practicing there, and I also go there to offer, um, to help work with a small humanitarian aid project that I have, I'm part of with five friends. We're not a, not a legitimate nonprofit. We're just five people who love Burma feel a debt of gratitude and wanted to give back. And we raise money every year and we support mainly small, poor nunneries, some, um, some medical clinics, and then these schools that the nuns we supportive have started. And, and, um, you know, we, we started offering some money and we're, we're small time, but you know, it's meaningful over there. And as soon as we gave something, then these nuns started starting schools in these neighborhoods where the kids were too poor to afford to go to the government schools. They couldn't afford the, the uniforms or even the, you know, paper and pencil. And so they weren't able to go to school. And so these schools got started in places where there weren't schools and they're still going and we support them now. And, you know, as soon as there was anything extra, that's what they, they wanted to, to offer, you know, so just flowing through in this um, incredible way. Um, you know, we have the meal Donna board here and um, that's something that has come in at a lot of meditation centers and and that's a, um, you know a very common way that that uh, nunneries and monasteries and meditation centers are supported is through meal Donna and it's a it's such a beautiful thing and and in places like Burma whole families or extended families or sometimes ever, most people from a small village will come to offer meal Donna and they'll come sometimes the night before and they'll cook the food themselves or a lot of it and they'll they'll offer it they'll they'll actually put it on your bowl in your bowl or you know uh, they they make the offering and then they they want to they watch you eat and um some places you know you have an audience while you're eating and and it can feel a little awkward at first you know you don't want to spill food on yourself or whatever but there's so much delight and joy to see you know, they, there's so much happiness in directly supporting, especially in a meditation center, supporting your practice in this direct way that um, you get over the sort of self-consciousness of having an audience um, watching you eat. Um, yeah, it's, it's so beautiful to be part of that and to um, feel the joy that's there in the offering and the understanding that they have, that this is, you know, they may have saved for a long time to be able to do that. And um, it's, a, it's not a small thing. And so their, their connection to the power and beauty of it is really profound. During a, <clears throat> during a period when I was living, wearing the robes of an alms mendicant, a, a monk will say, although that's a 
a misnomer, but I was an alms mendicant, a, a Buddhist bhikkhu. Um, I had my robes and my bowl, and there was a period of time, so right livelihood for nuns and monks is to go on alms round, and that means you go walking through the village or wherever nearby with your bowl, and you can stand in the road, and if someone wants to, they can come out and put some food in there. And you're not allowed to ask. You can't ask for anything or go up to a house, or you just can be there. And and because it's a culture where that kind of offering is, is um, done, you know, where people offer that every day. And so usually you get something <laughs> in your bowl. And so I was walking through this village on my... Um, alms around daily, and I had made a determination that I would, I would only eat, um, my, I would eat one meal a day, and it would be from whatever I got in my bowl. And um, I, had, I had decided one day, because I had been wanting to do this, and I had decided that I would, if I got anything more than just rice that day, then I would start doing that, and that would be my one meal a day. And that day I got rice, because it's a very poor village, rice and one tiny little thin slice of papaya. And uh, so I had made this determination, so that was my meal. And some days I got just rice, and some days I got unbelievable abundance of offerings, you know, that I had to, every day I had to at least put some of the rice back into the monastery kitchen because I couldn't eat it all, of course. But um, it it was such an interesting practice to you know, accept what was offered. And that was, that was how I, I lived for this, this period of time. And, um, and I remembered when I was going on alms round. So for at that time, often you would go in a line with all the monks from the center, but I was going by myself since I was eating just that food for my alms round. And there's, there's a reflection that's, um, Reflecting on reflection on the qualities of the the sangha, that is anuttarang punyaketam lokasa, which means they give occasion for great goodness to arise in the world. And I I used to wonder what that might mean, but at least at this time I thought one aspect of that, and in this case I was thinking of sangha as the ordained sangha, was providing this opportunity for people to practice. Um, cultivating generosity and practice of giving uh, in this way. And, and it was so um, moving to receive alms from people who were so poor because I had, I had resources even though I had given up all. I wasn't handling any money, but I had resources in terms of family. And um, I, I had things I could fall back on that these people who were offering to me, they had nothing to fall back on. And I remember there was this one woman, she lived by herself in this tiny little bamboo shack. And she would always have something for me, a spoonful of rice. Or One day she gave me, and, and you know, it's, it's so humbling because people are getting down in the dirt and bowing to you when you're going around like that. And she would bow and then she would, she, one time she just offered me a flower. She had a flower. And um, there was another, there was a young woman at another place where I would pass by. And and over the period of most of a year, many, many months, she um, 
She was coming out, at first she would come out on her own, but she was very thin, did not look um, strong, did not look healthy. And then gradually she was getting some help to come out and, uh, and to offer me some rice. And then at a certain point, if, if you're invited, you can go on someone's property, you can go into their, their, their home or their compound. Um, so they, they, they gestured me to come in and um, she would be sitting in a chair, which no one would ever do unless they had no choice because it would be seen as disrespectful. But she was too weak to stand. And so I would, <laughs> excuse me, I would kneel so that um, she could make this offering. And um, it always surprises me when I, some stories like this bring up uh, a lot of um, emotion. They were, they still, as though it's fresh, as though it had just happened. And um, at a, one day when I went, she wasn't there and she had passed away. And um, until she was unable to, to make this offering, she, she made that every day. So up to within a day or two of her death. And it was so, um, so moving, moving for me now to reflect on it, moving at the time to feel worthy of receiving that. And, <clears throat> you know, knowing that it, um, it wasn't personal. It wasn't to me. It was to the robes and to this lineage and to the triple gem. She was offering it to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And it was this reflection of her deep faith in the power of, of this tradition, the practice, and uh, the benefits of giving. And, and uh, you know, I went through so much internally in receiving alms uh, in this way from these people. And it's really good to look at our relationship to receiving because <laughs> that's the other side of giving, right? And we can have, we have such a tendency in this country to sort of shy away from the some way that we relate to receiving. It's kind of like no thanks or like a kind of fake humility or an embarrassment or or something. We don't want it. We, we don't want it acknowledged directly somehow. We want to stay anonymous. We see this even on the meal board, these anonymous meal donations, which are fine, but no one would ever do that in Burma. They want it, they want it to be shared. And, and, and it's, there's this light and there's this mutuality there and um, this dignity there that, that is so um, beautiful. Though it's said that, that uh, giving brings happiness in three times. Uh, the happiness when we think about a, an act of generosity, the happiness planning it, you could say, thinking about it, the happiness when we actually do it, and the happiness when we remember our generous actions. And um, it's really considered so skillful to reflect on our, our acts of, our, our wholesome actions, our, our good deeds, one of which is coming and practicing meditation at a place like this. And the Buddha said that one should bring these to mind. And it's, it's, um, I think it's really important that we acknowledge the beauty and the value and, and the power of our goodness 
and our good actions, our wholesome actions, and and um, bring it into our heart and of the, the beautiful mind states that that are there at times. And, and the Buddha was once speaking to one of his lay disciples, uh, Mahanama, uh, the householder, and he said, furthermore, Mahanama, there's the case where you recollect your own generosity in this way. It is a gain, a great gain for me, that among people overcome with the stain of of possessiveness, I live at home, my awareness cleansed of the stain of possessiveness, freely generous, open-handed, delighting in generosity, responsive to requests, delighting in the distribution of alms. At any time when a disciple of the noble ones is recollecting their generosity, that one's mind is not overcome with greed, not overcome with aversion, not overcome with delusion. The mind heads straight based on generosity. And when the mind is headed straight, a disciple of the noble ones gains a sense of the goal, gains a sense of the Dhamma, gains joy connected with the Dhamma. In one who is joyful, rapture arises. In one who is rapturous, the body grows calm. One whose body is calm experiences ease. In one at ease, the mind becomes concentrated. And this is, this is the, these are the first stages in what's called transcendent transcendent dependent origination, um, the, the chain that leads to liberation. Mahanama, you should develop this recollection of generosity while you are walking, while you are standing, while you are sitting, while you are lying down, while you are busy at work, while you are resting in your home, crowded with children. So all the time, bring it to mind. You know, and it's so easy to see our failings and we have such a tendency to see where we don't measure up, where we're not good enough. So if nothing else, it helps to balance our view, to bring this goodness to mind, to remember and reflect on our generosity and our good, good deeds. Hmm. Okay, one more story from Burma. Uh, there was this retreat I mentioned um, before where where people from outside foreign foreigners non burmese yogis would come to practice where i i was uh spent time my teacher ulakana um and uh, other teachers and um near that place there's uh, a small monastery that we used to visit a lot called the uh, myatong chaon and the sayada there was the myatong sayada they named often the the teachers, the head, uh, the, the the monk there, at these places is they they're named a, they're named after where they live. He had a Pali name, but we we just called him the Happy Sayadaw because he was so happy. And he passed away a few years ago. He was he was ninety seven, or maybe he was even ninety nine. He lived to a very old age, and um, he had been in robes at that point for. Um, 87 years. Yeah, he must have been 99. And he was the real deal. But he was also very, he was the happiest person I've ever met. And so light and so deep. And it was worth going all the way there to the (coughs) upper Burma just to hang out with him for a little while. And one time I was I was managing this retreat and I was supposed to 
talk about Donna near the end of the retreat, and I, I, my friends were going to go visit, and I said, no, I need to think about some what I want to say, and they say, no, you don't need to do that. Come with us. So I went along, but I, I said I want to ask the, the Sayadaw about generosity, and so I, I said I have to, I want to talk to the people on retreat about uh, giving, about generosity. Do you have any suggestions? And he, there was a bowl of oranges near him. He, he started, he picked up oranges and he started throwing them, tossing them to me. <laughs> so it's catching these oranges. He was laughing and tossing oranges at me. And he said, Donna, this is Donna. And then he threw up his arms. He said, everything here is Donna. He said, without Donna, none of this would be here. Without Donna, none of us would be here. And, um, you know, where he lived, that place, those monasteries, those are, you know, people offer the, you know, they're, they're paid for by, by just generosity. There's, that's how those things happen there. But um, I thought about it in terms of my own life and all of the things in my life that were and are a reflection of the generosity, the kindness and, uh, of others. You know, and I, it, when he said we wouldn't be here without this, I thought, yeah, that's so true. So true. And maybe each one of us can find something in that that resonates in terms of our uh, way that we have received, been the recipient of the generosity of others. So that leads back to this sense of gratitude where I started, because I think when we give, then it, and it really links us directly to this quality of gratitude. And they're so interrelated. They're really different aspects of the same thing. So generosity, chaga, dana, giving. And then uh, in Pali, the word for gratitude is katanyuta, which is a compound of two words. Kata means that which has been done, especially one that which was done for or to oneself. And anyuta, which means uh, to know or recognize. So it's the recognition of that which has been done for one's benefit. What others have done for us, katanyuta. Sometimes there's, uh, you see, katanyuta, katawedita. Katawedita is what we then um, should do in return. So it's a sense of um, we reflect on what others, the, the, the generosity of others, and then uh, bringing forward what we would do in terms of appreciation and gratitude for that. And um, this quality of gratitude, um, you know, so beautiful. And, and so many of you express this, you know, when, in the meetings. And it's, uh, it's such a beautiful quality of, of mind, of heart. And um, one that I think is so wholesome to connect to and that, um, you know, we feel gratitude, we want to offer, we offer, we feel gratitude. So these things have this uh, circular feedback. Let's see, I need to stop. Let's take a minute here as as I wrap this up. You know, I have a friend who, um, she and a a friend of hers have, for years now, I don't know if it's every day, it's really regularly, 
might be every day, they would they would send a message or, or talk if they could, and they they would they would bring to mind and say to the other one five things they were grateful for every day. And uh, as far as I know, they haven't run out of <laughs> of things, you know. And, and maybe we can reflect in in this moment, you know, open our heart and see what see what arises that we might be able to feel grateful for just here tonight. I'm I'm really grateful for indoor plumbing. The fact that we have, that we can turn this faucet and get water that we can drink out of it. That's a, that's not that kind. There are parts of the world where, no way, you know. Some of the villages I've spent time in Burma, they have to take a bucket down to the river, and that's the water and. I, it's, I, you know, I would really be taking my life in my hands if I were to drink it straight. <laughs> you know, that's what they use. And there's places where they don't even have that. You know, so just indoor plumbing, for example, <laughs> or having good friends or shelter, or the opportunity to hear the dhamma practice, or whatever. I, mean, I can't take a poll here. I wish I had time to see what might have come into your heart for uh, something to be grateful for. But it's a beautiful practice. You know, and since it's so easy to see all that we lack to bring to mind what we're, to count our blessings in this way is, is wonderful. So it's said that the gift of the Dhamma surpasses all other gifts. And this is a gift that all of us have not only received, it's a gift that we are offering through our practice. And um, yeah, let's end this evening by reflecting on the fact that we have received the gift of the Dhamma, these teachings, this practice. And we, through our, our efforts, are offering that carrying it forward, offering it on. And, and in my view, our practice is always never just about us. It's always bigger than that. It's always about all beings because to whatever degree we cultivate and bring forward into our hearts and minds and into the world qualities of wisdom and compassion, that is a huge gift. And so since it's a gift, whether you think it is or not, we can make it intentional. And I began years ago a practice. When I come in here, I hold my hands in this Anjali mudra and I bow and I bring these words or something like this into my mind. May my life and practice be dedicated to the welfare, the happiness and the liberation of all beings. May it be in service to and for the benefit of all beings. And I, I was I started doing this at the suggestion of 
Joseph Goldstein has been a very dear teacher of mine. And, and when I first started doing it, I, the little voice would say, yeah, right. Who are you kidding? As though there were anything worthy of offering, as though my practice had any real goodness. I this little voice, not the voice of wisdom. Um, that voice has quieted down a lot over the years. Maybe once in a while it shows up, but not so much anymore. So even if that were to happen, still it's, it's, it's worth, worth making some effort there to really connect with the goodness of our efforts. May it be for others. May my practice be a gift to all beings. You know, I actually hold it as a gift. It's beautiful to do that to practice for the benefit of those who do not have either the, they, they just couldn't do it. They don't have the inner capacity to, to actually sit with their own mind and body. They don't have the opportunity. There's so many beings who might love to and can't. Let's practice for their benefit. Let us be with the joys and sorrows of, the, of a day for the benefit of others. So... Uh, I'll leave leave us with that reflection and we can sit uh, quietly for just a minute. Um, apologize in advance for going over a little bit tonight. And then we'll do uh, the chant, the sharing of blessings, which is, uh, follows on very nicely. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration through the goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent, or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss, and realize the deathless through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing. May all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind 
with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble guide. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. Thank you for your kind attention this evening, and thank you for your practice. I wish you a good rest of your evening, whatever you may choose to do with it. Now is the time for you to do as you see fit. And I'll see you around the place. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.